Good morning. Good to see you all here. If you're joining us online, we can't see you, but we welcome you as well. And our hope and expectation is that God would speak to his church today, whether you're here in person or you're viewing at home. That's our expectation. We are, as Billy read, we're going to be in Ephesians 4 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, just a little bit more on timetable for new construction. We're expecting to be in this building today (laughs) and then next Sunday and then hopefully be in our new building for the Good Friday service. That's our that's our expectation right now. So expect an update next Sunday, um, hopefully with even more details on that. Um, many of you have been pitching in to help get the campus ready, and so we really want to say thank you for that. And there's still quite a bit yet to do as new furniture's coming in, chairs are coming in this week, needing help unloading chairs. Like, it's getting exciting, a lot of work to get everything ready. So uh, let's fasten the seatbelts, and let's, let's get ready to see what God's going to do. Um, so we'll give you another update next Sunday. All right, so Ephesians 4, this is our third and final sermon in the Serving All-In series. And today we're actually going to revisit two themes that have come up so far. One is how our serving in the church is connected to one another, how it impacts one another's lives in a very specific way, and also how our serving is connected to being conformed to the image of Christ. And we'll get to that more in a minute. And so that's where we're headed today. Uh, We're going to uh, start in Ephesians 4, verse 11 is where we're going to start. But I want to revisit something we read last week to get us started in the right way. So last week in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. And so Paul will say that in several places in the New Testament. We know then Paul has the heart of a teacher. He wants to teach the church things that they're uninformed about, right? And so in the same way that the first century church was uninformed about spiritual gifts and how to use those within the church, right? We understand that we too need to be informed. We need to learn together. So we want to have hearts ready to learn from God's word today as we move into this discussion on serving and how it impacts one another and how it's connected to our reflecting the image of Christ in the world around us. And so verse 11 then says this, Ephesians 4, 11 says, and he, that's Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So in context, this is a description of a gift that Christ has given to the church. And so Paul says, here's what Christ has given to the church. He's given apostles, prophets, the teacher, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, Paul was a list guy. Any of you list people? You, you, you navigate the world through lists. You got to have your list of things to do and what we need to pack and everything. So you make lists, you live by lists. Paul, I think, was one of those kind of people. And so we can learn a lot from looking at the different lists that Paul provides to us in the New Testament. I spent the better part of a year off and on just studying these different lists and how they relate to one another and what Paul's trying to teach us about the church and how the church is to be organized. We're going to go over some of those uh, this morning so we can understand what he's getting at here. So first and foremost, I think the, one of the things we could do is just understand the different roles um, that, the, that, that you find within the church, different roles or different offices, if you will, within the church. And so when we look at the way the New Testament unfolds, the first role that we see in the church is the role of the apostle. And when we say apostle, we mean capital A. Okay, these were individuals who were firsthand witnesses to the resurrected Christ, and they were commissioned to launch the church. Uh, these are the ones who are writing most of your New Testament, right? So you've got the disciples, you had 12, lost Judas, 
He was replaced in Acts chapter 1, so we're back to 12. So these were apostles. These disciples become the apostles, capital A. Okay? Uh, Paul encounters the resurrected Christ. He sees the resurrected Christ, goes from persecuting the church to becoming now a Christian leading in the church. And so he's an apostle. And he says, I'm the least of the apostles, but I'm still an apostle. Okay, well, when these individuals pass away, there are now no more first-hand witnesses to the resurrected Christ, so we have no more apostles with a capital A. Now, you might consider some of the different functions within the church. The idea of the apostle with a lowercase a is still functioning. Those individuals who are working to establish multiple churches and network churches and, and, and leading different churches, and so functioning somewhat like maybe the apostle Paul but that's the idea of the apostle with a lowercase a. These individuals are not first-hand witnesses to the resurrected Christ commissioned to start the church. You see the difference there? Okay. So we have the role of the apostle in the Bible, but we don't have that role in the church today as an office. But what we do have is what's next, which are our elders, overseers, and pastors. These three words are used interchangeably in the New Testament, both by Paul and by Peter. Okay, so they have this leadership role in the church, sometimes referred to as an elder, sometimes as an overseer, or sometimes as a shepherd, which we translate pastor, but it's the word for shepherd. Okay, and each of those titles is a description of what these individuals do in the church. They oversee, they provide eldership, they provide shepherding and pastoral care to the people. At Solid Rock, we have eight elders and we have five pastors. The distinction is the pastors are on staff and our elders are not. Okay, so six out of our eight elders are volunteers, but they're also men called by God to be a part of Solid Rock Church for the long haul. It's one of the criteria. They're making decisions for our church that, that they plan on being around to help us uh, see out. Right, whereas our pastors oftentimes are here for two, three, four, five years before God calls them somewhere else, right? So they're making short-term decisions, leading in a specific way. So we draw that distinction here. But the office is considered interchangeably in the New Testament, elder, pastor, overseer. Right below that, you have the office of deacon, deaconess, minister, okay? All have the same Greek root word. And sometimes it gets translated minister, sometimes deacon, but it's the exact same word in Greek. The only time it changes is if it's feminine, which we would translate deaconess. That would be like Romans chapter 16. Phoebe, Phoebe was a deaconess, but it's the same Greek word. That word's actually going to come up in our text today. Then, then after that, we have saints. Who are the saints? Every believer and member of the local church, that's you, saints. And so Paul will write his letters sometimes and, and open up his letters to the elders and the saints in Ephesus, right? So he's writing a letter. He intends for the, the elders to receive this letter and to read it and make, read it out loud in front of the congregation, but he's addressing the whole congregation when he says saints. These are sinners redeemed by Christ, now saints. Okay, and so what we're going to see today is how these different roles function. Now, what's interesting is in this particular occasion, in this list in Ephesians 4, what I think Paul is doing is he's simply describing specific leadership roles. So even though you may have eight elders in the church, those elders have different spiritual gifts, different strengths and weaknesses, 
and, and function maybe practically in even different ways. And so I think this is just a sample of different leadership roles when he says, and he, Christ, gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list of all the leadership roles in the church. What Paul's saying is, hey, church, these are some samples of leadership roles given to the church. And now he's going to move on from here and say, here's why these leaders are given to local churches. He says in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay? So we're going to get to that. But what I want to do is I want to talk about a couple of other lists that Paul brings up that are going to help us today. So we've got the different roles in the church. We've got elders, overseers, pastors. We've got deacon, deaconess, ministers. And then all of us are the saints. Okay, but what about spiritual gifts? So here's what's interesting about spiritual gifts. First of all, we get different lists in the New Testament of spiritual gifts. And and the two lists that Paul provides, one in Romans 12, one in 1 Corinthians 12, are not exactly the same. There's some overlap, but they're not exactly the same. So what we would conclude then is that it's not an exhaustive list of all the gifts, But if it's on the list, you can consider it to be a spiritual gift. Are are you with me on that? So, like, there could be other spiritual gifts not on the list. We don't know. But we do know this. Everything he mentions is an example of a spiritual gift. And when you put these two lists together, you get about 18 different spiritual gifts. Here's here's the list. Administration. Did you know that that is a spiritual gift? Paul lists that as a spiritual gift. You can be supernaturally gifted with administration. You can be supernaturally gifted to organize things, to put spreadsheets together, to be administrative. Some of you are like, whew, good. I didn't think I was even a Christian because, right? And you're like, oh, that makes sense now. Like, I see God using me to bless the church, to further the gospel through administration as a spiritual gift. We have discernment, encouragement, evangelism. We talked about that last week. We're all called to be evangelists. Some are supernaturally gifted at it. Faith, we talked about that last week. We're all saved by faith, right? But there are some who have that gift of faith. Giving, we're all called to give. Sacrificially, generously, as members of the church. Some have the gift of giving. And if you've been around that person, you know it. Like they're supernaturally gifted to give. Healing, serving, knowledge, leadership, mercy, compassion, miracles, prophecy, shepherding, teaching, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and wisdom. Again, not an exhaustive list, but we know that at least these are gifts. 18 of them given to us through the scriptures. Now, here's what's important to understand. First of all, we don't all have all the gifts. We learned that last week. But every believer has a gift. But don't think of this simply as like plug and play. In other words, if I have the gift of hospitality, I'm going to be on the hospitality team. Okay? It's not how it works. Okay? A person with the gift of hospitality is a fantastic community group member. You ever been in a community group where somebody has the gift of hospitality, right? It's a blessing. You can have the gift of hospitality and serve in student ministry. Ask Jeremy. He's going to invite you to come on a retreat. Help, 
right? So the, just because you have a gift of hospitality does not automatically put you on the hospitality team. Are you with me? Okay, so what, as you understand what your gifting is, then you discern how God wants you to use that gift in the church. But here's what we do know. Every believer has a gift, and we don't all have all the gifts. And God is composing the church in such a way, he's orchestrating us where all of our gifts come together in a way when we're operating in our gifts, there are no needs. There are no holes, no deficits. And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about spiritual gifts. Now, here's another list that's really important to understand, distinct from gifts and role, uh, different offices or roles. And this is the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, notice it's singular fruit. And the idea here is that if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, the Holy Spirit is working on you in all of these categories. Unlike spiritual gifts, every believer is called to everything on this list, the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit or the results of having the Holy Spirit working in your life. Here's what the Holy Spirit's working on in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Every believer is called to this. Every believer is called to this. And we're going to come back to this in just a minute. So we have different roles in the church. We have different gifts in the church. And then we have fruit of the Spirit. It's It's important to understand those different lists distinctly. And so what Paul is doing here in Ephesians 4, I think he's given us some samples of leadership roles. He's saying, here's why leaders were given to the church. To equip the saints for what? Ministry. And here's what's interesting. That word ministry is the same root word that we translate deacon or deaconess or minister. So the saints are called, right, to do the work of the deacons, the deaconesses, the ministers, Which saints? All the saints. Leadership has been given to the church to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Let's talk for a minute about that idea of equipping. I think a good way to think of this is like thinking about a really good coach. Really good coaches are also teachers. They not only set the expectation for the players or for the team, but they provide everything necessary to achieve it. Now, they can't do the job for you, but they can equip you to do it. So I, wanna, I have the opportunity to coach because I have boys who play sports, and I'm helping coach my youngest son's team. And one of our philosophies as a team of coaches, there are four of us, is we always want to make sure that the player can, can say to us the why. So if we say to a second baseman, here's where you're supposed to be standing, he goes, okay, coach, right here, yes, now tell me why. And we're not done until you can tell me why. Here's what we want you to do in the batter's box. Here's what we want you to do at shortstop. Here's what we want you to do in outfield. Okay, coach, right here. Yes, yes. Now, tell me why. And until you can tell me why, I'm not done coaching. Why? Because we're teachers. We're equipping them to understand the why behind what we're asking them to do. So why? So they can do it. Okay? That's what good coaches do. And I think this is the idea here of equipping. Leaders have been given, spiritual leaders have been given to the church to coach the saints, to coach the members, to equip them to do something. What? The work of ministry. So this is not the idea that the bulk of ministry has been given to the faithful few, but the faithful few have been given to the church to help the church do the ministry, the work of ministry. Now, there are a couple of reasons why I think this is incredibly important to understand. First of all, 
If you don't do it this way, you'll end up with personality-driven ministry. Ministries that are driven by personalities, whether that's the role I'm in, the role of our student pastor, the role of our kids pastor, right? right. If that person's not here, I guess we don't have ministry today because that person's not here, right? Ministry that's contingent upon a person or a personality. The second reason why I think this is super important, probably the more important reason is that it's not mathematically probable to care for the members of the church if we leave the ministry up to the leaders. It's just not. If you and I have had that discussion before, you've heard me say those words. It's not mathematically probable, okay? Just take this service alone. I cannot care for you the way you need to be cared for. It's not that I don't want to, I just can't. Like if everybody in this room, if everything's going great in your life and you don't need anything, then it can look like I'm caring for you. I'm just cheering you on. And one week I'll text this person, next week I'll text that person. But I honestly, if crisis hits in, in, in four families in this room, I'm spent. The rest of you are just gonna have to wait because that's, that's all I can get to. So it's not mathematically probable to, to expect the church to be cared for. Now, who wants to be cared for? Don't we all wanna be cared for? I, I want you to be cared for. I want you to want to be cared for. But if you're expecting staff to care for all the members of the church, it doesn't matter how bad we want to, we just can't. So how does this work? And Paul's telling us how it works. Here's how it works. God gave the church a gift. Leaders to do what? To equip the saints, the members to do ministry. Do you want to be cared for? I bet you do. I want everybody right now, look across the room and find somebody you don't know. Just, just put eyes, I know it's weird. If you're sitting at home, you can look at us, We're, we can't see you. Okay. Whose responsibility is it to care for that person? It's yours. Yeah. Even those you don't know. And so as you come to church here, as you're a part of this church here, it's your job, your responsibility. Get to know a few people so that you can care. If you don't get to know anybody, you can't obey what God's called you to do. You have to get to know one another so that you can care for one another, so you can carry out ministry. Now, if you don't know what to do, that's where you call in a coach. Hey, I don't know what to do. That's where a pastor or an elder steps in and says, here, let me help you. Let me equip you. Need some, some counseling, coaching? I'll help you. Not quite sure what to do in this situation? I'll, we'll help you. We'll help you do it, but you're called to do the work of ministry. And our job as leaders is to equip you for that good work. And so Paul says, these roles have been given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, here's what's beautiful about this. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul describes for us what happens when we're doing this. Listen to this description. This is starting uh, in the second half of verse 24. But God has so composed the body, that's like Billy was praying earlier, the church is the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Mm. You see that? You're supposed to have the same care for each other. Verse 25, if one member suffers, all suffer together. That can't happen if we don't know one another. 
That can't happen unless you're seeing, it's my responsibility to help care for people here at this church. I've got to get to know people in this church so that if one person suffers, if I know them, then I can suffer with them. And then the flip side of that is what? If one member is honored, all rejoice together. One of our members came up to me today and said, hey, I don't know if you heard such and such is going on with such and such. And, and I know this got circulated in our women's prayer group, but I don't know if you heard about it. I didn't even hear. And so I'm like, oh, I wish I'd known I'd reached out to them. And then, and then, but I'm thinking, no, 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 wait. What's awesome is this person's already being cared for. And if I'm needed, I'm willing and ready to step in, but this person's already being loved on and cared for and prayed for. And that's the way the church is to function. One member suffers, we all suffer together. Now, in the second part of verse 12, we're gonna get to what all this is aimed at. Here's the why behind what you're being called and asked to do. So we'll pick this up in the second half of verse 12. For, this is, why this, is, this is what this is here for, it's what you're being asked to do this for, for building up the body of Christ. So something about leaders equipping saints for ministry causes this thing called the church to be built up Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're going we're gonna to spend some time here. This is not only what I think is the primary focal point of all the serving and all the ways that the church is organized. I think this is one of the primary themes of the Bible itself. Let's start for just with a minute, for a minute for, with looking at what Peter says about this similar thing. In, in 1 Peter 4.10, he says, as each has received a gift, so he's talking about spiritual gifts now, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. To be a steward means that you've been entrusted with something. Did you know that God has entrusted you with some things? Christ follower, you have been entrusted with Finances, possessions, energy and time, experiences. You've been entrusted with a lot of things that you've been called to steward on God's behalf, to manage. And so what Peter is saying, you know what one of the things is that you've been entrusted with by God? Spiritual gifts. You have been entrusted to steward a spiritual gift for the purpose of serving one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, we read this one last week, to each has been given the manifestation of the Spirit, which is a spiritual gift, for the what? Common good. So our gifts come together in a way that it's for your good. It blesses you. It builds you up, which is going to lead us to the primary point here. What are we being built up into? Are we trying to become the church down the road that's bigger than us? Are we trying to become the church over here that does this better than us? What are we being built up into? That matters, doesn't it? What are we seeking to become? And he tells us here, the measure of the stature of the fullness of who? Christ. Listen, church, this is what we're aimed at. This is one of the primary themes in your Bible. Genesis chapter one begins here. God's account of creation, 
And at the pinnacle, you might say, of creation, he creates human beings. It's hard to imagine, right? You and I are like the big part of God's creation. But he creates us set apart and unique. And what is different about us is that we are image bearers. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. It is embedded in your essence. It's why you exist in the universe. Adam and Eve were meant to be image bearers. Wherever they went, whoever, whatever, looked at them would see a reflection of who God is. Image bearers. But at the moment that they sinned, they distorted that image. They distorted the image of God. And from that time forward, their sin, our sin included, distorts the image of God. So when people look at you, apart from Christ's work in you, when people look at you, they don't see God. They see a distorted image of God. Right? So your salvation, part of what God is doing in you, is his Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, restoring the image of God. The New Testament will describe it this way. You are being conformed into the image of? Yeah. The image of God. Image of Christ. You as a Christ follower, there is not a Christian on the earth who's not being conformed into the image of Christ. You need to hear that. That's why it's so important to understand the fruit of the Spirit separate from the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, think of it this way, the fruit of the Spirit is a description of the character of Christ. Isn't that what Christ looks like? All those attributes, you go, who is, who is the best at these things? Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, Christ. Paul is describing the fruit of the Spirit, meaning this is what the Holy Spirit's doing in you. He's conforming you into the image of Christ. And now what we just read in Ephesians 4 is that our serving is intimately connected to you and I being conformed to the image of Christ. And it's not just a solo project. Yes, the Holy Spirit of God is working on each person in this room individually, but he's also working on us together until we all reach a unity in the faith, a knowledge of the Son of God, full maturity in Christ. So think about that. Through your salvation, your faith and trust in Christ and him alone, God is restoring that Genesis 1 image-bearing quality in you. He's restoring that. Isn't that good news? He's, he's, he's restoring you as an image bearer of God, someone who looks like Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that leaders have been given to the church to equip the saints for ministry, and here's what it's aimed at, maturity in Christ. We all grow up together. As a church, we're reflecting Christ more and more. When somebody new walks in these doors, even if they don't have the words to describe it, they're encountering a reflection of Jesus himself. Like that's what we're aimed at, church. That's where we're headed. We're not trying to become a church down the street or the church over here. Are there churches that do things better than us? Absolutely. But we're not trying to become them. We're desiring to become like Christ. He is our aim. And what Paul is saying is all this works together when the members are being equipped to do ministry. If the leaders are doing, if they're ball hogging all the ministry and the saints are not doing the ministry, we're not going to attain this. And then he tells us what this is going to help us avoid. Verse 14, that so that we may no longer be children. 
This is Paul's nice way of saying so we may no longer be immature. The author of Hebrews will call, call, call Christians who are not mature infants. When you first become a Christian, you're like an infant, spiritually speaking. You may be 80 years old, but spiritually you're an infant. You need to be coddled. You need to be nurtured, cared for, fed. But the expectation is what? You would grow from infants to toddlers to adolescents to full what? Mature adulthood, spiritually speaking. And so Paul says, here's what's going to happen. You will no longer be children. If we remain children, what happens? You'll be, he says it, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He's talking about the chaos of the world that we live in. Okay, so the, the struggles of our culture today that we see as, a, as, as Christians, as a church, they're not new to the world. The first century church had to deal with a lot of the same stuff. Watered down, watered down theology and doctrine. Confusing teachings on the Bible. A lot of spiritual talk that's not rooted in truth. Okay, it's not new to the church. It's this imagery of being like, you ever been out on, the, on a boat and been seasick? <laughs> Tossed to and fro here and there. Every wind that passes by with a new idea, you latch on to it and like then it's gone and you're just, you just don't know what you believe. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you're rooted in. Sound like the culture we live in? What's the flavor of the day? What do we believe today? I don't know. Somebody tell me. I forgot. What, what does it say on Facebook? What do I believe? Oh, that's what I believe today. What's the latest hashtag? Oh, that's the movement I'm involved in. Just toss to and fro, back and forth. That's what happens to, to Christians who remain children. Paul's like, I don't want you to be children. I want you to grow into maturity. So you're no longer tossed to and fro. And then he says in verse 15, rather, here's what I want for you. Speaking the truth in love. Let's talk about that phrase for a minute. A misinterpretation of that phrase. Let's talk about what truth means. Truth means saying what is true. First and foremost, here, this is truth. Second to this, it's also being truthful in the midst of circumstances. Okay? If somebody says, how are you, and you're not fine, you don't say fine. That's not true. Right? So truth, God's word, but also being truthful in the world around you. When you say things that are true, it can be hurtful. Matter of fact, oftentimes it's hurtful, isn't it? Don't you refrain from saying things that are true because you want to hurt somebody's feelings? Okay, so the idea is here that in the church, we're growing into maturity, so this would be a place where we talk about things that are true. But not just blasting one another, we're sharing truth in love. Okay, Paul is not saying, I want you to be polite when you share true things. That's not what he's getting at here. When he talks about sharing the truth embodied in love, he's talking about our caring for one another, our relationship for one another. If you wait until you need to say the hard thing to be loving, it's too late. You with me? The atmosphere of this place has got to be care for one another, love for one another. So when you share the hard thing, it's trusted. One of my favorite Proverbs, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. That's when you share hard things with somebody and they don't bolt on you. Have you had that happen before? 
Maybe you had that with a child, a friend, a family member, somebody in your life, a coworker. You said, hey, I just got to be honest with you. And you said what was true, and then boom, they're out of the relationship. Okay? So that's not the church, though. This is to be a place where when we share hard things with one another, we trust where it's coming from because you're for my good. You've spent the last however amount of time, months, years, showing me that you care for me. So now I trust when you share something hard. That's the idea of sharing the truth in love. You with me? That's more than just being polite when you say hard things. And so Paul says, Listen, this, you want to know a church that's doing this well? They're sharing the truth in love with one another. They share hard things with me. You say, say, Jason, man, I got to share something with you. I don't know how you're going to take it, but here it is. I don't bolt. I don't respond in defensiveness. I might ask questions to understand, like, hey, help me understand more. Like, I believe you, but I, I need more, and I'll ask questions. But my, my goal is, what, to understand, because I trust you. I, I know you're for me, right? So I'm not going to bolt on you just because you say something hard. And this is what happens when we're growing into the maturity of Christ. It's more than just wearing T-shirts that say, I'm a Christian. I'm solid rock. I'm a member. I love to serve. Paul says, I don't care what T-shirt you're wearing. You want to know a church that's doing this well? They're not being tossed to and fro by every doctrine coming their way, and they're sharing the truth in love with one another. And here's what happens. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into who? Christ. There's no doubt that that's what Paul is aiming us at, right? This is what we're headed towards. The elders are not the head of the church. Christ is. You're not being conformed into the image of one of our elders or one of our pastors or one of our pastor's wives. That's not who you're becoming, Christ is the head of the church. We're all, elders included, being conformed into his image from whom the whole body, that's us, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. We'll finish it out with the last part of verse 16. When each part is working properly. That phrase doesn't need explanation, does it? It's pretty simple. When each part when the spiritual leaders are equipping the saints for ministry. When that's happening, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you want to become this church? Is this, is this what you want to be a part of? This is what we're aiming at. We're not aiming at a church across town, a church over there. We're not aiming at anything else but this. We're desiring, we're seeking, we're moving to become an Ephesians 4 church where spiritual leaders are equipping the members to do the work of ministry so that we're all being built up and conformed to the image of Christ together. Like That's what we're after, church. How do we know when we're getting there? Because we're no longer being tossed back and forth, to and fro, by every doctrine that comes our way. We're rooted, we're grounded in the truth of Scripture, and we're sharing the truth in love with one another. And we're not bolting, we're not running. We're sharing the hard things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to read two more verses that I think describe the beautiful unity that, ha- that, that comes out of a church that's doing this. 
This is verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. That's how it will be when Christ is the head of the church and the church is being conformed to his image. One body, many members, many members, one body. Verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. It's a beautiful portrait of the body unified together, growing into one image, the image of Christ together. This is what we're aiming at. Like if this is not the church you desire to become, this may not be the church for you. Just being honest, like I want you here and I want you to be a part of this, but this is where we're headed. This is what we're aiming at. This is where the elders are leading our church. This is where the staff is leading our church. This is why we're doing this series, Serving All In, so that you can know your part because when each one of us knows our part and all the parts are working properly, what happens? We begin to reflect the image of Christ and that's what we're after, church. I wanna end with a few questions as we normally do, just thinking about how God may be speaking to you today. So I want you to think for just a minute about how God's word has challenged you to think about your role and involvement at Solid Rock. If you're not a member here, maybe God's speaking to you about that, saying, listen, you need to become a member. You need to be included in this thing called the church. Many members, one body. Maybe you are a member here and you're, you're hearing, oh, wait a second, I'm being called to do more than just have my name on a roll. I'm supposed to be doing ministry here. Like, I'm being called to serve like a deacon, a deaconess, a minister, doing the work of ministry here. I need to figure that out. Maybe God's calling you to leadership. Maybe there's somebody in this room. Maybe there's a man in this room who God spoke to you today about becoming an elder one day. He's putting a desire in your heart. You're like, yeah, I kind of, is it okay to desire to want to be an elder? First Timothy 3 says so. If you desire to be an elder, that's a noble thing. Maybe God's putting that in your heart. How has God challenged you to think about your role at Solid Rock? I want to follow that up with this. Are you aware of how God has gifted and called you to serve? Because it's not plug and play. It's not going to look the same. You may have the gift of teaching and you may be a community group leader. You may have the gift of teaching and you serve on the tech team. And guess what? You'll use that gift to help teach other people how to do AVL. You may have the gift of hospitality and God's calling you to use that hospitality gift in a community group setting. The gift of wisdom, maybe God's calling you to get involved in counseling ministry. Or maybe he wants you on the landscape team using that gift of wisdom. So here's my follow-up to that. If you don't know that, are you willing to meet with one of our Solid Rock elders or pastors to begin discussing and discerning where God's calling you to serve? And then here's my fourth and final question. Will you commit to be a part of this Ephesians 4 church vision. I'm gonna give you a real practical way to do this today, okay? So I know some of us like practical. It's practical, tangible. There's a card and a seat back in front of you, okay? Not everybody is to fill one of these out today. Some of you, you know what your gifts are. You know where you're called to be. You're in it. You're doing it. You're like, yes. Others of you are like, I don't even know where to begin. Okay, that's what this is here for. 
Okay, so what we've done is we got together as a staff. We said, hey, where are some of the biggest needs right now across the campus? And we picked four different areas. That's what's on the card. So on the back, it says, first of all, kids ministry. Some of you are like, nope, <laughs> not kids. I am not a Sunday school teacher. I am not a teacher, not kids. Well, read it because it says other things. Check-in, teaching, helping. That's a pretty all-encompassing description, right? There are a lot of different roles in kids' ministry besides teaching. Check-in is a role. It's an important role. Like to be the first point of contact for a brand new family coming into our church. Like what an important role to be in. To give them the confidence. We got this. Trust us with your kids today. We're going to keep them safe. Right? We're going to lead them towards Jesus. Then we're going to hand them back to you at the end of the day. In one piece. Moms need to feel that way when they drop off their kids. It's a very important role. You ever been in a class, those of you who teach and kids, and like you run out of copies or you need something? Man, the helper role, such a critical role. Helpers help teachers teach by taking care of other things. Potty break, got to go grab this, got to make this copy, got to do this. Like, there are so many different roles just in kids' ministry. Greeting. We're about to open up a new building with a welcome desk, brand new role. We need people behind the welcome desk. Greeting, we have greeters right now. Parking lot, we're going to need help in the parking lot. Um, Campus prep. I love this team. Over the last 12 months, this team, they have rocked it. If you are campus prep, I'm high-fiving you right now. Boom. I'm high-fiving you with my heart. Like these, like you remember the white canopies we had out here that were set up and tore down every Sunday for like 10 months? Who did that? Campus prep. Who put the chairs in a nice line today for you? Campus prep. Who dusted every chair in this room today because of construction dust? Did you know that? Campus prep. One of those members was dusting the legs on your chair so you wouldn't be distracted by dust. Some of you don't care, but those of you who care, you know it matters, right? Straightening the cards in the seat backs, checking for trash, sweeping. Like before 7 a.m., we had two guys out here sweeping with a push broom. One wearing a really nice jacket, like all decked out. And he's got his broom out there just sweeping away, serving like crazy. All kinds of roles with campus prep, and as we move into a larger campus, these roles are going to grow. IT support. This team doesn't exist right now. If IT goes down, we're like, Nick, where are you at? Jeremy, go reset the router. Which one? I don't know. Just reset one. (laughs) We don't know, but some of you have that skill set. You've been given that role and that ability and that skill set to serve the church. We want to know who you are. We love to put together a team of people who can serve the church in IT support. Maybe you have no idea. That's what the last one's for. I'd like to discuss it with a pastor, okay? We would love to have this conversation with you. There is no mistaking by God's word. You, if you are a Christian, have been called and gifted to serve the local church that you belong to. And when you do that, and I do that, and we do that, this church will grow into the image of Christ. And that's what we're after. Okay, so that's what we're gonna... We're going to end today. I'm going to pray for you. And if this is you and you fill this out, drop it in a brown box on your way out and then we'll take it from there, okay? We'll take it from there. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, listen, this is where we need to start. Trusting in what Jesus has done for you. We have to start here. Jesus, the son of God, has lived a perfect life on your behalf because you and I can't do it. He died on a cross as a sacrificial atonement for your sins, for my sins, 
but he didn't stay dead. He resurrected on the third day. That when you and I trust in him, our sins are forgiven and we're given this new life in Christ. We're promised eternity with him. And so if that's you today, I'm praying that you would make that decision right now in your own heart. Like you would trust in Christ before you leave here. Let's start there. If you wanna talk to somebody, our elders are wearing lanyards that say elder. We would love to talk with you or pray with you about making that decision. Let's pray together and our worship team is gonna come back up. Father, thank you for um, this challenging and, and helpful and practical teaching from Ephesians 4. Father, as we read the words that you spoke through the apostle Paul to the church, Father, we were challenged by that, God. We, we admit that we have fallen short of this description in Ephesians 4. But at the same time, Father, we commit our hearts to say this is what we're aimed at as a church. This is who Solid Rock is becoming. As your spirit works in each of us individually, we know that your spirit works in us collectively and in in unity, Father. And so this is what we're after. We wanna become a beautiful reflection of Jesus to the world. So Holy Spirit, we need you to start in each of our hearts today. And God, anybody here who doesn't know you, we pray that you would draw them right now to yourself. Just stir in their heart right now. God, let them sense your presence right now. God, that before they leave here today, they would put their faith and trust in Jesus. Father, we pray all of this in his powerful name. Amen.